You called my name. I 
Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you are here today. Uh, welcome to Southview. Welcome to November. Welcome to uh, turning your clocks back. Some of you, you, uh, you accidentally showed up on time today. Congratulations. We're proud of you. That's awesome. So this is how we start a service. This is how it begins. As we go through the month of November, we're, we're rolling up into Thanksgiving. And, and, and as we begin our time in worshiping together, I, uh, I want to spend a little time over the next few weeks thinking about this idea of thanks, thankfulness, thanksgiving. Uh, as, you, as you read through the scriptures, thanksgiving, thankfulness plays a massive role in the Christian life. And thankfulness is not based on you or your circumstance or how you feel. Thankfulness is based on God, who He is and what He has done. So I want to, throughout this month of November leading up to Thanksgiving, lead us into some scriptures to, to, to help drive that point home for us. So I want to read today Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. Psalm 9, verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. Look at that little phrase there. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Everything that I have, everything that I am. You know, I want us to start today just with that idea in mind of just giving thanks to God with all of you, with all your hearts. You know, if we're honest, there are probably in all of us, myself included, parts of our heart that we struggle to be thankful about. Things in our life that we struggle to be thankful about. Things that we want to be upset or discouraged or, or depressed or angry. 
I want to encourage you today. The scriptures say, be thankful with your whole heart. That doesn't mean that you forget those things exist or, or, or that truly harmful things you just sort of sweep under the rug. No, they, they may be harmful and hurtful and difficult, but there's a way to still be thankful to God in the midst of all of that. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. I just want to begin our time here this morning encouraging you to sort of just profess this with your own mouth. To either, one of two things, either you profess to the Lord that you are giving thanks to Him with your whole heart. Or maybe perhaps you need to today say to the Lord that you want to do that. You want to thank Him with your whole heart. But the truth is that there are parts of you that just struggle to do that. Confess that to the Lord. Admit that to Him. Let Him do a work there. Lord, we just come to you today. And and I, I can say that our desire, our desire is to thank you with a whole heart. And the parts of our heart, my, mine included, the parts of my heart that struggle to be thankful, and they are there. I freely admit that. The parts of my heart that struggle to be thankful, I ask you, God, that you would bring healing there, that you would show me why that's true. That even if a situation is bad, I will thank you that you are good even in the midst of that. I pray, God, that you would raise up among us, God, just the people of thankfulness. Just the people of thankfulness. I pray, God, that as we worship you right now, that we would worship you just with hearts full of thanks, mouths full of praise, because you are good and you are worthy of all of this. I ask you, Lord, that you would do this for your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's stand, guys. Let's worship the Lord together with thanks and praise. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate. We have a reason to praise. His name is Jesus the Christ. Come on.
were the bakers, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. One more time. We were the bakers. the prisoners now we're running free we are forgiven accepted redeemed by his grace let the house of the lord sing praise there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet we shout out your praise there's joy in the
perfect and living hope. You know, as we think about 
this idea of thankfulness, and I, I mentioned it to you earlier, and, and, and I wanted this to kind of be a theme for us as we go into worship, as we go into a time of prayer throughout this month. Again, that scripture that I read to you earlier, Psalm 9-1, I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. That's kind of the part we focused on earlier. But then look at the second part. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So scripturally, there's a difference between praise and thanksgiving. Typically, as you read through the scriptures, you praise God for who he is and you thank God for what he's done. Does that make sense? Both are important. Knowing just who God is, regardless of anything that he ever does, just because of who he is, we praise him, we worship him. He's just worthy of that. But then there's this element in the scriptures of thankfulness. And as you read the book of Psalms, those seem to consistently be linked to you remembering and recounting the good works of God. What he's done. You remembering the faithfulness of God greatly impacts your prayer life. If you go to Philippians chapter 4, where it says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, For me personally, I'll admit, a lot of times I don't pray with thankfulness. I don't pray with a lot of faith. A lot of times my prayer life It's really just me freaking out and saying amen afterwards, right? And and that's not really praying. Now, God is the God of over freak outs, and he's a safe place for you to freak out at, right? That's great. But that's not, that should not be the consistent flow of our relationship with him, our prayer life with him. Philippians 4 says we go to him with thanksgiving. So as you're presenting a request to God, you're remembering his faithfulness in the past. And if God has been faithful then, he will be faithful now because he has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see where thankfulness ties into this? So as we, as we go into a time of prayer, I want to encourage you here this morning. I just want to give you some time, just yourself personally, with you and God, to recount his great deeds. Recount his faithfulness. You know, there have been some, some individuals in our, in our church over the last week or so who have gone through just some really difficult and heartbreaking things. But as I sit and talk with them, they all talk about being thankful because even though this is a difficult season that they're walking through, they've seen the faithfulness of God. And they have no doubt He will continue to be faithful now. So I want to encourage you. Take some time here today, right now, and I want you personally just to recount the good deeds of God that you've personally experienced in your own life. Think of it sort of like putting ammunition in so that when the enemy tries to sell against you, when doubts and fear and worry and anxiety and depression start to creep in, you can have truths to, to fire back with. And no, God has been faithful here, and God has been faithful here, and God has been faithful here, and I know that He will continue to be faithful now. 
So bow your heads, and, and I'm going to give you just a few moments, just you and the Lord. Ask God to bring back to your mind some of the things that He has been so faithful in in your life. God, I just thank you. I thank you for the faithfulness that I know is represented in this room. I thank you that you have been faithful. There are people in this room that have gone through great loss and pain. And you have been there. There are people in this room that can thank you because they have walked through addiction and they're on the other side and you are faithful in that. There are people in this room who have been horrifically sinned against in this life people who have just harmed them and abused them in just the most wicked of ways but Lord here they are now with you healing their hearts and their minds and their bodies and they are different people today and they look back and they say God you brought me through that thank you Lord, just the unbelievable, great deeds that you have done, represented right here in this room. I pray, God, that we would remember them and we would cherish them, and we would, with a whole heart, thank you for your great and mighty deeds. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, again, welcome to you. If you have a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 7 and 8 today. Titus chapter 2. As you're finding that, um, a quick reminder to you as well, next Sunday at 4 o'clock, uh, we're going to have our yearly business meeting. Uh, we have one big business meeting a year, and in that we vote on the budget for the upcoming year, um, key leaders for the upcoming year, um, and then this year we have a new thing also that we're voting on, uh, some updates to our Constitution bylaws, policies, and procedures. You can find a copy of the budget and the leaders we'll be voting on on the welcome desk in the back. You can find a copy of the proposed bylaws and policies and procedures on our website. Go to southviewbc.com, go to the news tab, click on that, and you'll see where you'll be able to click, that, click and download and uh, read the proposed bylaws, and then we'll have all of that this coming Sunday at 4 o'clock in our Family Life Center. If you're not a member here at Southview, you're more than welcome to come be a part of that, so you can just watch how we do business. Um, you're welcome to come. By God's grace, um, He's allowed us as a church to have a real spirit of uh, unity and love that allows us to walk through things like business meetings with um, a wonderful amount of grace and mercy. Uh, I know maybe some of us come from churches where that's not been the case. 
Um, true story. I didn't share this in the first service, but true story. So back where I'm from, Darlington County, South Carolina, there's this little uh, suburb in Darlington uh, called Pine Ridge. All right, Pine Ridge. And uh, in Pine Ridge, there's a little church called Gum Branch Baptist Church. All right? And you can go in. They have to keep the minutes. You can go in the minutes for Gum Branch Baptist Church. And back, I think maybe in the 50s, they had a business meeting about something. I don't know. And um, it just got really contentious to the point where a guy in the church made a motion that they build a boxing ring outside. And another guy seconded the motion, and they were about to vote. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are not voting on building a boxing ring in the backyard, okay? So things can go sideways. We Thankfully, we have not built an octagon in the back. Like, we are not going, you know, Baptist slash MMA. We, uh, God has shown a great amount of mercy on us. So you're welcome to come and see how we do business. We have an open door policy. You're welcome to do that. So if you're a guest, you're welcome. If you're a member, you're expected. That'll be next Sunday at 4 o'clock. All right, I look forward to seeing you there next Sunday at 4 o'clock in the FLC. All right, Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, verses 7 and 8. So we've been working our way through the book of Titus, and, and if you've been with us, what you've seen is that the whole point of the book of Titus is how you live, right? The big thrust for Titus is good works, how you live. Our tagline for the series is gospel thinking that leads to gospel living. How you think determines how you live. And Titus is all about this good works, good works, good works. In fact, there's three chapters in the book of Titus. But six times in three little chapters, he uses this idea of good works. Six times. Good works, good works, good works, good works, good works. Over and over and over. Why is he doing that? Here's why. As a Christian, you are expected by God to live a certain way. Like that's just facts. I know that is a very unpopular position uh, in our world today, but it is a very biblical position in, our, in, in whatever generation that we may find ourselves living in. As a follower of Christ, you are expected to, wait on it, follow Christ. You're expected to do certain things, to live a certain way, to not do these things, and to do those things. That is an expectation of God as a follower of Jesus. And the book of Titus is going to seek to help you understand what that new life looks like, what those good works might look like, and how, more importantly, how you actually do it. I think for a lot of Christians, it's not that we have to convince Christians that they should do a certain thing. Now, we do have to do that sometimes. But for the most part, that's not the case. I think for the vast majority of people in this room, you are understanding and you are desiring and you get the fact that you, as a follower of Christ, are to obey Jesus and follow Jesus and walk after Jesus. The question that we often have is, okay, well then, how do we do that? What does that look like? I want to, but I'm not sure how. And this is where Titus comes in. Titus wants to show, one, what that new life looks like, and two, how you get there. So as we've been going through Titus, we got to chapter 2, and we slowed it down significantly because in Titus chapter 2, it starts to go after different groups within the church, showing what this good fruit 
good works looks like for each individual group. So we took some time to go through each of those. We looked at older men and older women and younger women and younger men. Today we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And what happens in these verses is these are specific instructions that the Apostle Paul, who's writing Titus, is giving to Titus. All right? So Titus is sort of his young son in the ministry. Paul and Titus, Paul leads Titus to faith in Christ, disciples Titus, brings Titus along on his missionary journeys. They go to Crete, they lead people to Jesus, they start churches. Paul and Timothy, his other son in the ministry, decide to leave Titus there in Crete and go off to Ephesus leave Titus behind to help put these things in order and get these churches up and going. And the book of Titus is a letter written by Paul to Titus to help him in this process of unpacking all this stuff and leading these churches. So verses 7 and 8 are some instructions specifically to Titus, but I think they have a major impact on the rest of us as well. So Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and eight. Here's what he says to Titus. Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. All right, let's unpack these two verses just for a moment and see what we have here. There are two words specifically I would like for you to circle in your Bible. First is this, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model. Some of your translations, I think King James says pattern, NIV says example, ESV that I'm reading from, again, says model, basic idea. This model that it has here, uh, it means an, an imprint, it, it, right? It, it's the same word used in the Gospel of John about the nail print in Jesus' hands, right? So the nail in Jesus' hands left an unchanging, indelible print there, right? And that's the way it's describing this. It's a, a print, a model, a, 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 a cast, if you will, uh, sort of like if you're making cookies, right? You've got these cookie cutters and so you put the cookie cutter down and it creates a model it creates uh, uh, an example of what you want each of these cookies to look like and so first thing he's telling Titus is be a model be an example be a pattern show people how to live the life Titus and then the second thing I want you to see in verse 7 and in your teaching circle that one some of your words some of your Bibles may say doctrine instruction, teaching. It says, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So this idea of teaching or doctrine, it's what you believe. What you believe about God, what you believe about his word, what you believe about what he says about you in the gospel, and then how you articulate and, and express that belief. Right. So, so in this, Paul is telling Titus two big things. Live a certain way that makes you a model of the Christian life and believe certain things that are going to make that kind of life possible. So what you see here in Titus chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 is what you see in all of Titus. And if you've been with us through Titus, you should know this by now. How you think affects how you live. Again, it's the tagline for the whole series. Gospel thinking leads to gospel living. 
how you believe about God, how you believe about his word, how you believe what he says about you affects how you live. Right gospel thinking is like guardrails on a road, right? What are the point of the guardrails? So that you don't go flying into the ditch, right? It keeps you on the road. Right belief about God keeps you on the path of good works. It protects you. It keeps you on the path. That makes sense? They go together hand in hand. Right believing and right living go hand in hand. You cannot separate them. Many of us, what, what gets us in trouble, the reason that we struggle in the faith, and again, if you've been here longer than 10 minutes, you've heard me say this ad nauseum, and I'm going to keep doing it because we're in the South. We focus so much on our actions. You, are try- you see a bad thing that you're doing, and so you're trying your best to no longer do that bad thing. And what I'm trying to help us understand is the Bible teaches the reason that you keep doing that bad thing is because there's an underlying belief issue. You are not believing something rightly about God. That's what's leading to the, the external action. Just simply seeing a bad thing and trying to not do the bad thing doesn't work. And let's be honest, you've got two decades of experience proving the fact it doesn't work. It's not helping. Simply seeing a bad thing and trying your hardest not to do the bad thing doesn't actually change you. It's right thinking that affects your right living. So if the living is off, we've got to address the thinking. What you believe. All right, so let's do an example. Let's do um, lying. How many of you in the room struggle with lying? Awesome. All of you are liars. All right, so here's the thing. Is lying bad? The questions just get harder from here, guys, seriously. Lying is a bad thing, yes? Lying is bad. Um, but there's even a verse, right? It's, it made the top 10 list. Right? It's, 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 a, it's a bad thing. So here's my question Why do you and I keep doing it? Why do we lie? We don't focus so much on what we're doing. Let's drop it down a level and ask the question Why are we doing it? Why do we lie? So, I'll throw myself under the bus. You don't need tire tracks. I'll take them. Why do I lie? Why does Brad Lynch lie? There are normally two reasons why I lie. I lie to either cover up something I did wrong, and I don't want you to think bad of me, or puff up what I did right in hopes that you'll think better of me. The reason I lie is because ultimately I care what you think. I want you to not think bad of me, and I want you to think really well of me. The reason I lie is because in that split second, you are my God. And the idea that you might think poorly of me or not as highly of me as I would want you to leads me to a lie. At the end of the day, The reason I do it is not just because I did a thing I shouldn't do. I said a thing I shouldn't have said. I told a lie. There's an underlying truth here. 
And underlying truth is this. At that split moment, now I may in my head know these things to be true, but at that split moment, I am not believing enough to live out enough. I am not understanding and living in the truth that I am totally loved and accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. He that is for me, it does not matter who else is against me. And nothing I ever do can separate me from the love that he has for me in Christ Jesus. I am so convinced that I am settled and loved and accepted by faith in Christ. If I do something wrong, I can admit that I did something wrong. Because even though it might change the way you think of me, it doesn't change the way God thinks of me. And that's ultimately all I care about. And I don't have to try to drum up you thinking better of me because God knows all the good and all the bad and he couldn't possibly think better of me than he does right now. And that's enough for me. The reason I lie is because on a root level, what God thinks about me isn't enough. I want you to think well about me too. That wrong thinking that does not give God the ultimate preeminence that, that does not place God as the ultimate authority. That does not place God and God's thoughts of me as the only thing that really matters. That split second of placing you on the same level or above that, that's what drives me to do the things. That's why I lie. It's a, it's a root belief problem that now leads to the action. And this is true of every sin you and I will ever commit. There is a root belief problem that then drives us to the action. And this is the big idea of the book of Titus. Right thinking is what will lead to your right living. And if there's a problem with your living, don't just focus on the action and how you stop the action and manipulate the body and manipulate the action and get someone to help me think. No, go back to the thinking. What is it in your heart that you're truly believing and living out? It's all about what you, are you rightly seeing God for who he is, seeing yourself for who you are in Christ, and trusting by faith in what God says to be true. Right? This is what Titus is trying to get us to. See that right thinking and right living go hand in hand. And the reason why he tells us the last part of verse 8 Show yourself in all respects to be a good model, a model of good works. And in your teaching, what you believe, your doctrine, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. In other words, have pure, right, healthy truth about who God is. Why? Verse 8. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. You have an enemy. He is Satan. And he has people on this earth who desire very much to be the enemies of Christ and Christ's people also. And it says right here, what allows that opponent, that enemy, to have a, a, a source of attack against you is when what you say you believe and how you live don't line up. See how practical this is? When we say we believe this, but we actually live this that gives a crack for the enemy to step in and go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's an accusation point. This is why it's so pivotal. Having right thinking 
that leads to right living. Why? So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That phrase, put to shame, means to hide or avert your eyes. Sort of like if something shameful happens and you kind of do that thing. It's the way it's describing that. Where an enemy would try to make an accusation point, try to push in on something, but there's nothing there. Right? They can't find a spot because your right thinking has led to right living. And so they walk away ashamed. They can't say anything. Or what's also valid is this. This is equally as important. The opponent brings an accusation that's true. A thing that you did wrong. A sin that you committed. A thing that isn't pleasing before God. But because you're so grounded in who you are in Christ, you're so settled in the love of God in you, you are so fixed in your knowing that you are dead to your sin and alive to God and you're a brand new creature in Christ, that when that accusation is brought against you, you know what your response is? You're right. I did that. Right? That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, when your, 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 your opponent takes you to court, agree with them quickly. That's a spiritual point he's making. When the enemy of your soul, Satan, brings an accusation against you, don't try to defend yourself. You're angry and you blow up at your kids. You're right. I do. You have lust in your heart. I know. I see it. Jesus, help me. This is where right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking is when the sin is there, you don't have to hide in shame. You run to Jesus. And your enemy says, you're acting like this. You go, I know I am. That's why I'm running to Jesus. That's that right thinking that's going to lead you to repentance. It's going to lead you to right living. So that this opponent has nothing to say. They walk away in shame because there's nothing that can stick. Either A, you're living a life of godliness because you know who you are in Christ, or B, the parts of your life that aren't walking in full godliness yet, you acknowledge that and confess that and repent of that sin and and say, yes, you're right, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's not who I am in Christ. That's not who I want to be. It makes a change. It makes you different. So, one, we see here with Titus, that right thinking leads to right living. But there's a second thing that I really want to hit on today. All right, This is really kind of going to be our focus here for the rest of our time. Second big idea. And, and this is huge because I think what gets to happen today, hopefully by God's grace, some of us in the room, you've hit a spiritual growth ceiling. Right? You got saved. It was legit. It was amazing. You have grown in your faith. But, but you, you kind of feel like you've hit. Right? Like you're, you're struggling to move past a certain level. Like you've, you've grown, but, but now what? And I really think we see in Titus 2, 7 and 8, the key that's going to unlock that door so that you keep going. All right? So look again at Titus 2, 7 and 8. What are our two words? Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say. Those are our two words I want you to focus on. Model, 
and teaching. And here's the truth that I want to, to lay out for you. Teaching people the truths of Christianity and modeling for them how to follow Christ is the primary way the kingdom of God is advanced. Teaching people the truths of Christianity and modeling for them how to live out that life, how to follow Christ, this is how the kingdom of God is advanced. For many of us, we got saved, and, and, and we just kind of started sitting on our teaching, right? You started coming to church. Maybe you went to a Sunday school class or a journey group here or something like that. You started sitting on our teaching, and that's great. But there's another level to this. There's another aspect to this, and it is what? Not just teaching, not just being up under teaching, but then also allowing someone else to be a model for you, to show you how to live the faith. Paul was telling Titus, yeah, teach them right living, but then also model for them how to actually live this thing out. Don't we all need this? And, and what I want to show you is, this is the consistent teaching of the New Testament. This is how God designed his church to work. This is how God designed you to grow spiritually. And the reason that you struggle to feel like you're not growing as much is because this might be a key that has been missed. Look at these scriptures. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you that verse that, that that verse 20 there teaching them to observe so yes we're teaching we're imparting information but more than that you're teaching them to observe you're modeling for them how to live this out how to do this the christian life is to be both taught and caught you must be taught the truths of christianity but if you're going to really grow in the faith you have to Put yourself in situations where you're going to be around other people who can show you and model for you how to live it. I know you get fed up with me constantly saying you got to move past this room if you're going to grow spiritually. The reason I say that is because I really believe that's on good biblical grounding. Like you're getting teaching in here. That's awesome. But you have to now connect with the rest of the body flow of the life here at Southview so that you can hopefully, by God's grace, be around other people that can model the life for you. Being sitting under teaching gets you to a certain point. But if you're not around people to model it for you, it doesn't work. Think about it like, so I don't know if it's a good example, but it's the best one that comes to my mind this time of year. Think about it like the flu. All right? So, a guy from Texas can teach me about the flu, but I can't catch the flu from a guy from Texas, right? He can teach me the facts about the illness, but the only way I get sick is if one of you jokers show up here sick, right? You're like, morning, pastor. Right? That's how I get sick. That's how it happens for me, all right? You have to be taught, but also if you're going to really grow in the Christian faith, you have to place yourself in situations where you're going to allow yourself to watch and model other people live the faith. 
This is pivotal. You simply sitting in a room, engaging with information, brings you to a certain level. Yes, and that is important. You want to keep doing that. But it's not just taught, it's got to be caught. And this is true for all of life. We know this for everything. I mean, your kids, when you taught your kid how to brush their teeth, you didn't pull out a PowerPoint presentation. Right? You got a toothbrush. And you say, here's what you do. Here's how you put the toothpaste on it. Here's what you put in your mouth. Right? You, you showed them. If you're a math teacher, you're teaching kids long division. Not the new way that's dumb, the old way that was Right? Right? You're teaching kids long division. What do you do? You model that. Here's a problem on the screen, and you do it together. And all right, God, now what, what number will jump, will fall down next? This number, right? You, you model it for them. Uh, in, in my son's uh, football game this week, I was sitting there on the sideline, and uh, one of our linebackers missed a play. And immediately one of the assistant coaches grabbed another kid and said, go in for him. So went in, that kid came out, and immediately he pulled him up close. He said, look, do you know what you did wrong there? No. He's like, look, he's a linebacker. He's like, look, you can't just randomly run through whatever hole opens up in front of you. You ran through that hole, the play went the opposite direction, and you're chasing behind it, and you missed it. Stand back. Stay on your toes. Watch what the line is doing. See where the, the, the running back is going, then fill that hole. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Good. Go. He went back in, he made the next play. What was he doing there? That coach was making a disciple. He wasn't just telling him what to do. He brought him alongside, he put his arm around him, and he said, here's how I want you to do it. He showed him. The same is true for the Christian life, guys. The reason many of us struggle in the faith is because we have not allowed ourselves to be placed in situations with other people that can model it for us. We do it because of fear. I don't want people around me. I don't want them knowing my junk. They're going to think I'm crazy. You are. We know. We are too. Right? It's just, it's, it's life. Well, it's just busy. I don't really have time. We need to understand, look, I'm busy. We're all busy. But man, we got to figure out what priorities are, guys. Does it matter that you grow spiritually? If it does, you've got to orient your life away in a way where you're going to be able to be around other people that can rub off on you. And again, the Bible consistently keeps talking about this. This isn't something that we're just making up. 2 Timothy 2.2 what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is telling Timothy, look, I taught and modeled this to you. Now you find a guy and teach and model it for him who will find a guy who teaches and model it for him. And it keeps going and going and going. Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What is he telling him? Imitate me. And keep your eyes on everybody else who's living the example as well. He's telling them, find people to watch and model. Do this. Do this. It keeps on going. 1 Timothy 4.12. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith in purity. Paul's telling Timothy, look, you're young, and they're going to think you're young. Okay, but go out there and just show them how to live the life, Timothy. Show them. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Model people who are seeking to model Jesus. If someone isn't seeking to model Jesus, don't be like them. Run away. Find someone who's seeking to model Jesus and model that person. Now, that doesn't mean perfection, right? Because I know this is something else that freaks us out. We talk about, you know, being a model. Like, whoa, whoa, I'm not perfect. I know. I'm not saying that you and I have to be models of perfection because that's impossible. We're not called to be models of perfection. Listen, but we are called to be models of repentance. And what people need to see are men and women of God who were able to say, so here's where I messed up, and here's how I messed up, and here's how I sought God for grace and repentance. That's what we need. So it's not about you being perfect, but it's about you following Jesus, modeling other people that follow Jesus, and then allowing others to follow you as well. And then also, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16, Paul also tells Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep a close watch on yourself, how you live, and on your teaching, what you believe. Why? Because it's going to affect other people around you. People are watching you. People are modeling. People are going to do what you do. So model for them godliness. Believe the right things so that you live the right way, so that you can be the right kind of model for other people to do the exact same thing. I want to read for you our scripture where we began again. Titus 2, 7 and 8. Look at that one more time. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. How you think and how you live matters. The Christian faith has to be both taught and caught. You've got to find people that you can model. So let me ask you a couple of questions just to kind of think through here at the end. One, is there anyone in your life you're seeking to imitate in the Christian faith? Is there anyone in your life that you're seeking to imitate? If not, I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to help you find someone. And again, one of the best ways that I would encourage you to be able to find someone to model is by plugging into what we just call here the normal, the normal flow of the body life here at Southview. What that means is this. We have small groups called journey groups. Get plugged into one. We offer equipped classes that teach you how to walk out the Christian faith. Go sign up for one. We offer men's events and women's events where you can just kind of get around and meet other people and, 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 and build friendships with other Christians. Go, go do that. Sign up for that stuff. Here's why. Are any of those things magic bullets? No. We have plenty of people in our church to do all of those things and are not living lives that bring glory and honor to God. It's true. So 
Signing up for those things, I'm not saying is the magic answer. What I am saying is this. Being a part of the natural flow of the body life here at Southview creates opportunities for you to perhaps find people that you can model and live after and imitate so that you can grow in the Christian faith. Simply swinging in and swinging out guarantees you'll never find that. You'll never find that. Who are you seeking to imitate? Who are you seeking to be a disciple of? And also, um, for, for me in my own life, what I've found is I don't learn everything from everyone. Like I found a guy who was really good at prayer, and I just hung out with him and learned how to pray. And I found another guy who was good at sharing his faith. I hung out with him and learned how to share my faith. And I found another guy who I thought was just really good at loving his family well, so I hung out with him and learned how to love my family well. Sometimes it's, it's, it's bigger than just one person, right? But as you spend time with people in the body, you're going to find people that just resonate with you. Find people that you just, I mean, this may sound fleshly, or but you find people that you just like and you just click with and you just connect. You go, I think I have stuff I need to learn from that guy. As you dive in to the natural flow of the body life here at Southview, you're going to have more opportunities for that. Find someone to imitate. And then second is this. Do you allow other people to imitate you? Do you create opportunities for people to follow you and to see you and be learning from you how to live the Christian faith? It's not enough just that you learn and model and, and, and learn how to do it from someone else. But you have to teach and be a model for someone else. Who are you doing that with? And again, that happens most naturally as you're plugging in with the natural flow of the body of life here at Southview. Get plugged into a journey group. Get plugged into a class. Serve in our kids' ministry. Serve in our youth ministry. Wonderful opportunities for you to teach and model how to live the Christian faith. Great ways for you to be doing this. Pouring it out so that other people can learn and go follow Christ. Um, I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as they do, I want to read one more scripture to you. It's not going to be on the screen. But um, it's in Titus chapter 2 there, if you're in Titus 2 already. Verses 11 and 12. We looked at this verse. We looked at these verses several times over the last month. But I just want to do it one more time. Titus 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So the grace of God has come and has saved you, right? It's the gospel. Verse 12, but he, the gospel doesn't just save you. Verse 12, also training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The, the gospel doesn't just save you, the gospel trains you. And, and some of your translations for that word there in verse 12 may say teaching, or instruction, i got to be honest, I think the ESV has a better translation with training. And here's why. The word training there is the same word used to raise your kids. You train your kids. You raise them up. How do you do that? Do you do that by just simply instructing them? Do this and don't do that? No. Again, you model. You show your child how to brush their teeth and how to make their bed. You're showing them these things, right? You don't just 
tell your kid how to change a flat tire. You say, come here, let me show you how to do it. You're going to get stuck one day. Here's how you do it. You do the book, right? You model. And that's the exact same word used here in verse 12. Train. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about you believing certain things and then going to heaven. It's about you believing certain things that changes you, affects your life, trains you and equips you to reject ungodliness and walk in righteousness and then help other people do the same. That's the point. Right? That's the point. So for you, are you being trained up in godliness? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, training you up in the Christian faith. One of the primary ways that he does that is by you being engaged with the body so that you can learn from others how to live out the faith. So as we end our time here today, we're going to worship together and sing a song about being a living sacrifice to God. And this is where it starts. You and I, Seeking the Lord that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would train us up in godliness. That starts first and foremost with you and I laying ourselves down as a sacrifice. Saying, God, my life is yours. Jesus, you laid your life down for me. So I completely and totally give my life to you. It's yours. I'm nothing but a sacrifice. Lay down on the altar. Do with me what you will. It starts there. And if that's your heart, that's where your beginning point God can do great things there. So Lord, I pray for us today that this will be our hearts, this will be our desire, that we would be living sacrifices, setting ourselves on the altar of grace, asking you to consume us, and creating opportunities for us to learn and imitate and grow and show others so that we can see the kingdom of God advance. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand together, guys. Let's worship the Lord. You're welcome to come forward and pray if you'd like. Or you can just stay right where you are, pray and sing. But let's take just a minute here this morning and praise God that he was our sacrifice so that we can now give ourselves as a sacrifice for him.
Jesus, offer our all. We are a sacrifice to you. God, we just present our lives to you, Lord, and we just want to live lives to bring glory and honor to you because you laid your life down as a sacrifice for us. And I pray, God, that we would lay our lives down willing to be a model for other people. I pray, God, that we would get out of our way, that we would not be consumed with our own lives. But, God, we would seek and desire to be a model, to care, to, to disciple other people. I pray, Lord, that you would do this in us. We are your sacrifice. We lay ourselves at your feet. We pray this, Jesus, at your name. Amen. Hey, have a seat for me, guys. Good to have you with us again as we end our time here together, just, just encouraging one another in the Word. Um, as, we, as we end our time, uh, just a couple of quick announcements I want to throw your way. One, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Glad that you're here. You can connect with us by texting the word CONNECT on our number uh, on our screen, 910-424-1298. Just text the word CONNECT there. We'll get plugged in with one another. But for everyone, we've got three big announcements of what's going on uh, this week here at Southview. One, if you're a part of the Joy Group, um, we have a lunch. It's actually on Wednesday the 19th, uh, the 9th, excuse me, Wednesday this week, uh, going to Hudson Bay. So if you're interested in that, there's a sign-up sheet down the hall. Then also, try to be here at the church by 10. We're going to go shortly after that, but try to be here at 10, and you'll get uh, um, all set and ready to go and head that direction. So if you're part of that joy group, that senior adult group, come and be a part of that on Wednesday. Second, our military ministry. Um, This coming Saturday at 6.30, if you are a military, um, active duty, veteran, retired man, woman, anything, right? If you are connected with the military service in any way, our military ministry is here to serve you. And one of the ways that they want to do that is by doing these fireside chats. We've got a fire pit in the back. And it's just a time just to come together and get to know one another and um, fellowship. So that's this, uh, this Saturday, 6.30, come and be a part of that. And then last of all, I've already mentioned to you our business meeting this coming Sunday, 4 o'clock in the FLC don't forget that. And for everything else, all our other announcements, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play, uh, to find out everything that's going on. You can give online through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whichever works best for you. All right. Hey, let me pray for us as we end our time here together. God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your life, for your love, for your sacrifice. We ask you, Jesus, that we would lay our lives down as a sacrifice for you so we can live lives to bring glory and honor to you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade never enough.